Today's passage comes from Acts 22, verses 1 through 21. Brothers and fathers, listen to the the defense that I now make before you. When they heard him addressing them in Hebrew, they became even more quiet. Then he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, educated strictly according to our ancestral law, being zealous for God, just as all of you are today. I persecuted this way up to the point of death by binding both men and women and putting them in prison. As the high priest and the whole council of elders can testify about me, from them I also received letters to the brothers in Damascus, and I went there in order to bind those who were there and to bring them back to Jerusalem for punishment. While I was on my way and approaching Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone about me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I answered, Who are you, Lord? Then he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not hear the voice of the one who was speaking to me. I asked, What am I to do, Lord? The Lord said to me, Get up and go to Damascus. There you will be told everything that has been assigned to you to do. Since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, those who were with me took my hand and led me to Damascus. A certain Ananias, who was a devout man according to the law and well spoken of by all the Jews living there, came to me and standing beside me, he said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. In that very, very hour, I regained my sight and saw him. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear his own voice. For you will be the witness to all the world of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you delay? Get up, be baptized, and have your sins washed away. Calling on his name, after I had returned to Jerusalem, and while I was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw Jesus saying to me, Hurry and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And while the blood of your witness Stephen was shed, I myself was standing by approving and keeping the coats of those who killed him. Then he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. be seated. Everyone has a story. Some have stories that are full of big life-changing moments like Paul's. Others of us have stories that are smaller, quieter. My story is like that, smaller and quieter. Now, it starts the way I suspect many of you would start your story. I was born into a Christian home. I was baptized as an infant in the Lutheran church, 
and I was raised being taken to church and Sunday school every single week. I was confirmed in the Lutheran church, and I wish I could tell you all about that day and what it meant to me, especially since our confirmands are here this morning, but I don't remember it. It was a big moment, I know that. That was when I took the faith that my parents had raised me in and I said it was my own. But I don't remember that moment from the church of my childhood and youth vividly. I remember smaller things though. I remember my parents, who never attended Sunday school themselves, dropping my sister and I off so we could go. I remember walking in the red double doors, not unlike the ones at the front of our sanctuary, that was at the back of the church and going downstairs to our classes. I remember walking back upstairs and meeting our parents there for worship outside the sanctuary doors. I remember worship. I remember taking the hymnal and the bulletin and carefully marking every part that we were going to need. There were ribbons in the hymnals and I would mark the hymns with those and then I would take the bulletin and stick it in the right pages so that I could follow along. I remember following along closely, wanting to know exactly what it was that the pastor was saying and being able to follow along myself from the congregation when it was our turn. I remember also that I would just pour over the front part of the hymnal, maybe or maybe not during the sermon, um, looking at all of the other liturgy for special services and the other prayers that were contained there. I remember communion. Now, we used these beautiful, delicate, embossed communion wafers. Nothing like what you get in the top here but they were beautiful and delicate and they would be placed in the palm of your hand and they would just melt on your tongue we use the common cup often in the church wine real wine was in that cup and the pastor would wipe the mouth of the cup with the white cloth and turn the cup before the next person took a sip from the cup. It was like the 1970s version of hygiene, I guess. <laughs> and I remember the warm taste of that wine as it went down my throat. We also occasionally used those little individual glass cups instead. They came in the little brass trays. And I remember that the inner circle of cups was grape juice because some people preferred it or needed to stay away from wine for other reasons. I remember that I would serve as the acolyte or the crucifer. And in our church, the acolyte and the crucifer sat actually behind the altar rail. It was on the very back wall of the church. So we would sit behind the altar rail. The acolyte would be over in this window on one side and the crucifer over on the other. And it was like a backstage view to communion when it was Communion Sunday. You could see every church member as they came and knelt at that rail taking communion. And I remember laughing a little bit every time someone took one of those little tiny cups and threw their head back to get every drop of juice or wine. And I laughed because my pastor, when he had taught us about communion, said that he really preferred that we not do like that because it looked like we were sitting on a bar stool instead of kneeling at an altar rail. 
I remember the names of my pastors, the names of my confirmation teachers. One of them was easy because my father was one of my confirmation teachers. I remember the name of the man who read the Pentecost scripture every single year, filled with difficult words to pronounce. Just come next Sunday and you'll get to hear those. I remember the name of that slightly wild child who you were never sure what he was going to say or do during children's moment or in church in general. And I remember the name of the young man who stood at the front of our church during a Christmas play one year. He was head and shoulders taller than everyone else up there. And he had on big angel wings because he was the angel Gabriel. And I remember the names of my two closest church friends. Neither one of them went to school with me because there really aren't a lot of Lutherans in the South. (laughs) And there weren't a lot of youth in my church. But I remember these things so vividly. So very vividly. And then as I grew older, I started to drift away from the church. This might be part of your story too. I went to college And during my freshman year, I came back home a lot, and I would go to church whenever I was home. But, you know, I got more comfortable in my college life, and I stopped going home as much. And I tried church one or two times while I was at college, but again, there were not a lot of Lutherans in the South, and I didn't see anyone my age there, and I gave up. So I became the attend church when I'm at home, and that was it. By the time I graduated, Stephen and I were dating, and we would occasionally go to the church that he grew up in, Montevallo United Methodist Church. That's where I became Methodist. We were married there. We would attend sporadically, but we lived in Inverness, south of Birmingham at the time, and it was so easy to not make it to church. We stayed busy with work and play. We were making money and spending it, and then we were busy with life building a home and filling it with our children and all of the busyness that they brought. We lived closer to the church now because we'd moved to Alabaster, but it was still very easy to not make it to church. Funny thing is, all of those Sundays I was too busy to make it to church. I don't remember those vividly at all. What was I doing? I don't have any vivid memories. Until the Sunday in 2003 when I woke up and looked around me and realized I have two small children. I have had them baptized in that church where we were married by the same minister. But I was doing nothing to keep those baptismal vows to those kids. My husband and I had both been raised in the church, but we weren't doing the same thing for our children until that day. Turns out, God had spoken to Stephen and I at the same time and put that same conviction in our hearts. And once we started back to church, we haven't faltered since. And then those vivid memories began to be formed again. I remember sitting in a Sunday school class filled with other young couples, who, many of whom were related to Steve, you know, it was a small church, And I remember thinking, we all thought we were so smart. We thought we had it all figured out. Well, thank the good Lord above, we had a much wiser person than us leading our class, the pastor's wife. 
And can you believe at that age that was the first time someone had taught me the importance of reading the Bible on my own in my home? I remember getting involved with United Methodist Women, the UMW. I loved the fellowship of these ladies. Many of these ladies had known my husband since he was a child, and they welcomed me like they had known me as long as they had known him. I remember my mother-in-law's best friend asking me to preach for UMW Sunday. And I remember me saying yes and being totally shocked that that is what I had said. I remember being in a dim chapel on my walk to Emmaus, holding a piece of bread in my hand, holding it up to Jesus and asking him to forgive me for the sin of squandering my many blessings. And I remember picking up another piece of bread later in that service and dipping it in the cup and being convicted that I was ready to leave there and serve my church and the women within it with a renewed energy. I remember the women that were part of that Sunday school class that I formed there at Montevallo, and I remember how thirsty we were to know about Jesus, and we did that all sitting around the table in the church library. I remember visiting Alabaster first when we felt like we needed to be at church in a place where our children could be with kids they were in school with. I never had that growing up. And I knew that especially one of my children would benefit from that. I remember being overwhelmed by the number of people that were in this worship space in 11 o'clock worship as I looked down on them from the top of the balcony. That's where we sat for years until Steve moved into the audio booth and I joined the choir. I remember that I was asked by a pastor what I wanted to do to serve this church. And it was so refreshing because it was the first time someone had, assume, had not just assumed that I, an accountant, wanted to be on the finance committee. And when that person asked what I wanted to do to serve, I felt so seen. And I was starting to feel like there really was a call on my life. I remember being asked to help lead worship one Sunday. Every pastor but one was going to be gone. And I remember then picking up the Methodist hymnal and marking it for all the places I would need for that worship service. I remember being encouraged to take more and more steps, just one at a time, and I remember taking them. Steps on a road that do not look like Paul's road to Damascus, but it was my road and answering my calling. And it led me here, where I have just shared my story with you. Now, sharing my story is not something I really like to do from the pulpit. I, I'm, I'm very open and transparent one-on-one, -on -one, but I don't like to take your time this way from the pulpit, which is interesting because hearing your stories and being invited into some very, very sacred places in them is the greatest blessing and privilege that I have as a pastor. Paul's story was big and bold, and it had a clear pivot point, a defining moment, that big aha. 
Scripture captures him telling this story, like in today's passage, at least three times. Twice, we hear it in Acts, and once in Galatians, and I'm sure he told it many, many times. But he also could boil it down into the basics, into a short, compelling before and after story. And I encourage you sometime to look in Galatians 1, verses 15 through 17, and see how he boiled this long story down. But let me paraphrase it for you. Before I literally saw the light, I was an enemy of the church and of God, although I thought I was on God's side. God, in his great grace, though, had set me apart before I was even born to proclaim the truth to the Gentiles, and he set me on the right road again by revealing his son to me, and as soon as he did, I did not stop to get direction from anyone. I just got to work, to God's work. Now, my story is smaller and quieter than Paul's, and even though I don't know where the pivot point is in it, or if there was one, or if there was just one at all, I can just tell you now, still, my before and after. I used to look to things for meaning and fulfillment, marriage, family, success, things I could buy. By the time I was 35, I was surrounded by stuff, and I had two children who really needed to know Jesus. Little did I know that the person who needed to get to know Jesus was me. Since then, my life has had more focus. I no longer look to external things for fulfillment, and I am able to enjoy my blessings. The difference is I know where those blessings are from, and I am living vividly in gratitude and joy. What is your story? Does it have a big turning point in it, an abrupt turnaround, and I was lost but now I'm found moment? Or does it have lots of little moments, small corrections, tiny discoveries that led you here? It could have both. What is your story? What do you remember vividly? It may not be the things you think you're supposed to remember, but it may be the little things that are most important to you. Bread and wine, hymnals and liturgy, people and places. What is your story? What is your before and after? What do you believe and what has that belief given to you? And what can you give to others by sharing your story with them? May we all be big and bold in telling our stories, no matter how small and quiet those stories may seem. For in telling our story, we are telling God's story, a story we are privileged to be a part of. May we take our stories and use them for God's glory, that all the world, one person at a time, may know the peace and joy to be found when they become part of God's everlasting, eternal love story. Let us pray. Gracious God, we are so thankful for the stories that you have given us. Each one of us has a different story to tell, and you are in them all. 
Help us all this week to, to look back on our lives and see where you were and see what a difference you've made to us. And help us practice telling that story, the long version and the short, and help us to see the people that we need to share that story with, that they may come to know you as well. All of this we pray in your son's name. Amen.